Listener Production. Hello, Tom Tilly with you for the briefing. It is Wednesday, January 19, and Katrina Blowers in this briefing, uh, we're looking at the Omicron wave sweeping across Europe, and we're going to find out why vaccine hesitancy is so high in Eastern Europe. Yeah, including in Serbia, where that uh, little-known tennis player Novak Djokovic is from. Anti-vaccination sentiment is high here in this country, not so much because of Novak Djokovic, it plays some role, but because the current government in Serbia, which is autocratic, is ultra-rightist and anti-Western, which means that it is also against Western medicine, including vaccination. Just extraordinary. We'll get to that in our briefing. First, here are today's headlines. A big story and a really sad outcome out of New South Wales this morning. A man has been charged with murder following the disappearance of a nine-year-old girl who went missing in the Blue Mountains last week. New South Wales police say a 32-year-old Sydney man was arrested last night and charged with the murder and he's scheduled to appear in Sydney's central local court today. So police established Strike Force Buena to investigate the disappearance of that nine-year-old girl after she was reported missing from Mount Wilson in the Blue Mountains on Friday. Some bad weather has hampered the search for her, but police up until yesterday said they were still holding out hope of finding her alive. Mm. Yeah, I think we were all hoping this would have a Cleo Smith-style ending where the girl was still alive, but this news breaks all hope of that. Victoria's statewide code brown will come into effect at midday today. Now, this is the first time that emergency setting has been used like this. It is normally reserved for natural disasters or mass casualty events. Omicron cases and admissions to hospital are now approaching 1,500. And on any given day, we have approximately 5,000 healthcare workers who are not available to work. That's the Deputy Premier of Victoria, James Molino. So this means that non-urgent hospital services, which includes elective surgeries, uh, will be reduced, suspended or outsourced, and that staff could be asked to defer leave. If we can't staff a particular shift with the normal number of registered nurses that we ideally would do so, then we will supplement that with other staff. They could be physios, they could be OTs, they could be medical students. That's the Deputy State Controller of Health System Operations, Adam Horsberg. So this ban on elective surgeries has really devastated Victorian women undergoing IVF, which is one of the procedures now on hold. Trust me, we have tried everything else. This is something that is a necessity. So that's a video from a 45-year-old woman, Melanie Swishenek. It's gone completely viral because it shows how devastating this decision is. A lot of women feel that every single round of IVF could be their last chance to have a baby. And it's also, you know, so expensive and the um, it just plays havoc with your hormones. So a little bit of hope. It looks like we could be at the peak of the Omicron wave with a seven-day average heading down in every state. Here's the show in New South Wales, Kerry Chant. The fact that the numbers have stabilised give, give us some hope that we have been slowing the spread. Four days on from the underwater eruption that rocked the Pacific, the clean-up in Tonga's capital is underway. The town has been blanketed in the thick film of volcanic dust. Um, but look, they're making progress. The roads have been cleared. Um, the buildings are being, are being cleaned up. But um, Luke Wallach is trying to get back to normal. 
New Zealand's Acting High Commissioner Peter Lund speaking from Tonga by the sounds of it on a a satellite phone. Uh, The Tongan government has issued its first official statement calling it an unprecedented disaster. They have now confirmed three people are dead. Yeah, hopefully it's not more. Um, They're now facing water shortages um, with the local supply polluted and outlying islands uh, are still being evacuated uh, because many homes have been completely destroyed. Russian troops and military hardware are arriving in Belarus with military exercises scheduled near the border with the Ukraine. So this means the Ukraine's now surrounded by Russian military on three fronts, um, with the Navy also positioning themselves in the Black Sea. We have information that indicates Russia has already pre-positioned a group of operatives to conduct a false flag operation in eastern Ukraine. The operatives are trained in urban warfare and in using explosives to carry out acts of sabotage against Russia's own proxy forces. So a real ramp-up in tensions there. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki giving us that update. Canada, which actually has the third largest population of Ukrainians outside of Ukraine, is sending troops in what they say is a strictly advisory capacity, while the UK is also sending defensive weaponry, including anti-tank capabilities. Yeah, so there were a number of negotiations last week trying to get a breakthrough here. Uh, Clearly they've failed and those military forces continue to mount. So we'll keep an eye on this situation, but it's quite concerning. And a big day in tennis. Another five Aussies have booked their place in the second round of the Oz Open. Alex Deminor, Sam Stoser, Madison Inglis, Chris O'Connell are through. And so is Nick Kyrgios. So he's had a really interesting time of it. He got COVID not that long ago. He's only just bounced back in time to play the Australian Open. He won in straight sets uh, last night with a very trademark set of tricks and showanship. <laughs> and it's just, I think everyone loves seeing Kyrgios in a happy place, which he really Don't seems we? to be at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> we do. You know, when he's doing those um, those serves between his legs and all of that, I mean, it is, he's a great player. He just, um, he really divides a lot of people. Meanwhile, talking of divisive, the Djokovic saga keeps limping along. Unvaccinated players and are definitely not allowed to enter the French Open now. Uh, the French Parliament finalising that vote to block unvaccinated people from sporting events. So either he has to get vaccinated or potentially they roll back some of the, the rules if the if the pandemic is sort of in a really mm. different place by then. But yeah, otherwise, very awkward place for Novak Djokovic. Yeah. And, you know, you then got to wonder what happens at the US Open and Wimbledon. I know. And, uh, and, and what his legacy is going to end up being is going to have to have a big think about that too. All right, well, speaking of that famous tennis player, we're going to Serbia and the rest of Eastern Europe to talk about uh, what's happening with vaccine rollout there in the face of the Omicron wave. Right now, Omicron is tearing its way through Europe. At this rate, the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation forecasts that more than 50% of the population in the region will be infected with Omicron in the next six to eight weeks. That's the World Health Organization's Regional Director for Europe, Dr Hans Kluge. He says Eastern Europe is in a particularly precarious position. As the variant moves east, we have yet to see its full impact in countries where levels of vaccination uptake are lower and where we will see more severe disease in the unvaccinated. 
So moving west to east on vaccination rates, it tells a really different story. You go from high rates of 80% in Portugal and Denmark, 75% there in Spain, France, Ireland, Italy, Belgium... And then it starts to drop. Yeah, so Serbia, the home country of Novak Djokovic, is at around 50%. You go east to Romania, 40%. Bulgaria is at 28%. That's all according to the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control. So we got to wondering, what is the story behind the low vaccination rates in Eastern Europe? Well, we'll start in Serbia, the home of Djokovic. We spoke to Voyin Rakic, who's a professor of political science at the University of Belgrade. Thanks for joining us on the briefing. We've got to go to the, um, well, it's not really the elephant in the room. He's the elephant back in his home country, Novak Djokovic. How are you and how are a lot of people in Serbia feeling about the way he was treated here in Australia? The majority of people in Serbia, Djokovic is a star, which he, of course, indeed is. Unfortunately, he is also associated with anti-vaccination sentiments, which means that if you're popular and an anti-vaxxer, that means that you can influence public opinion in the direction of people getting less vaccinated than they should be. So on the one hand, a big star, an excellent tennis player, the world number one for Serbian standards. He is pretty uneducated, in fact, and that is probably also the explanation for his anti-vaccination sentiments. Has he spoken more openly in his home country about his vaccine hesitancy? It's almost taboo because he is a big star and what I'm saying now would be met by hostility among uh, many people in Serbia and perceived as a sort of non-patriotic type of behaviour. Okay, so let's get to the real story of how COVID-19 and the Omicron variant is actually affecting your country and that's all connected to the vaccination rate as well. Um, I understand the vaccination rate is somewhere around 50% in Serbia. So how is your country coping with the Omicron wave? How severe is it there right now? It has been proven that the likelihood that the data the government gave about the number of infected people in Serbia with COVID-19 that the chance that these data are correct are, you won't believe it, one in three billion. And that has been calculated by mathematicians from um, the University of North Carolina. And one of them is a Serb and a professor at that university. So we don't know exactly here how many people have been vaccinated. It is likely that it is around 50%. And it is also uh, very likely that the anti-vaccination sentiment is high here in this country. Not so much because of Novak Djokovic, it plays some role, but because the current government in Serbia, which is autocratic, is ultra-rightist and anti-Western, which means that it is also against 
Western medicine, including vaccination. How's it looking on the ground in your country? Are hospitals overrun? Are people getting sick anecdotally? Relatively overrun, but we have to be very careful with the official data here. According to these data, the official infection rates have never been higher than they are now. But on the other hand, there are much uh, fewer hospitalizations than a year ago because Omicron apparently has an effect on the human organism that does not lead so frequently to hospitalizations than the Delta variant. There are clearly fewer people hospitalized than a year ago, but there are also more infected people than a year ago. So many more infected people and clearly less people in hospitals and less fatalities. That's Voyan Rakic, who's a professor of political science at the University of Belgrade. Okay, let's get the broader picture across Europe with BBC correspondent and disinformation specialist Kayleen Devlin. Tell us about the vaccination story across Europe and how that's playing out now in the face of the Omicron wave. Yeah, so across Central and Eastern Europe, the vaccination rates are lower than they are in the rest of Europe. So I think the average um, for vaccination is about 68%. But if you look at places like Bulgaria, the number of people who are fully vaccinated is around 28%. In Romania, it's 41%. Obviously, there will be multiple reasons for this. But my focus is on disinformation, which we've seen influence vaccine hesitancy, not just in Central and Eastern Europe, but globally. Yet with that said, there are some studies that suggest that political distrust is slightly higher in some Central and Eastern European countries compared to the rest of Europe, which I suppose ultimately makes more of a fertile breeding ground for vaccine hesitancy. So talk to us about this disinformation story and how much of a role that has played. This isn't just something that is restricted to Central and Eastern Europe. It's a global thing that we've seen. If you throw in uh, political instability or political distrust, it potentially makes people more likely to believe certain disinformation narratives. So in Bulgaria, for example, we've had three parliamentary elections in 2021 and competing bits of information around the efficacy of the vaccine. So we've seen claims that the efficacy of it is still being tested. It's experimental. We've seen conspiracy theories around Big Pharma and this idea of the Great Reset, which is that there's global elites who are trying to control society and the vaccine and COVID lockdowns are just one way of doing that. We've seen that globally, but we've also seen in some Serbian groups that we monitor and in Romania as well, that same narrative being pushed. So if you are living in a country which has a higher rate of distrust in government institutions and you are seeing these conspiracy theories, there's an argument that this would make you more likely to believe them or less likely to believe what the government are telling you to do, which would be to get the vaccine. Yeah, and we just actually heard from Serbia that even just general anti-Western attitudes also fuel vaccine hesitancy. Yeah, so with the latest Djokovic saga... 
a lot of the conspiracies because he's a big tennis star there and you kind of saw that playing out online. So a lot of the conspiracies were against the treatment of the biggest tennis star ever. And the narrative was that big countries are against smaller ones like Serbia. And I suppose that fits in quite nicely with this global COVID conspiracy theory that we've been tracking since the pandemic began, that it is global elites who are trying to control society. And, you know, in one video on Facebook that we saw, which was viewed tens of thousands of times and was shared widely amongst Serbian anti-vax groups, there were false claims made suggesting that uh, the Tennis Association of Australia were banning fans from supporting Djokovic in the Australian Open. So, you know, we have seen sort of conspiracy Facebook accounts in Serbia pushing out videos like this, claims like this, that um, they're being unfairly treated and that big countries like Australia are targeting smaller ones like Serbia, which fits, as I mentioned, quite neatly into this big COVID conspiracy that it's a global elite trying to control society. How do you know whether the low vaccine rates in Eastern European countries, it comes down to what you've been telling us versus just supply of vaccines and the health system, you know, and their ability to roll out the vaccines in those countries? It's not going to be just about disinformation. So, for example, Romania has amongst the lowest spending on healthcare in Europe and a health system that's consistently ranked the worst in the European Union. So there will be multiple factors playing into this, but I think that you can't completely outrule the role that disinformation and bad information and an inability to tackle that bad information plays in vaccine hesitancy. So yeah, it's going to be multifaceted. But what we've seen, not just in Central and Eastern Europe, but globally, is disinformation playing some part in the confusion around people's choices to get the vaccine or people's belief in the safety of the vaccine. And so it's ultimately important to counter that. We have seen on Facebook posts which are bad information being interacted with and viewed thousands of times. So we can't say for sure, like whether the people viewing this are ultimately inspired not to get the vaccine. But, you know, what we do see is that, as I mentioned earlier, in places like Bulgaria, there is an availability of vaccines. It has five different vaccines approved for use there. And in Serbia, I think it's four different vaccines approved for use. So it's not about a lack of supply of vaccines. Uh, so it must be other things. And we know that disinformation globally and in Central and Eastern Europe has played a part in really muddying the debates around the safety of vaccines. Kayleen Devlin there from the BBC and, and what a mess Katrina, the more distrust you have and you know sometimes these people have good reasons to distrust their governments, mm. there's been all kinds of conflicts and political scandal, corruption, mismanagement in these countries yeah, but yeah. it means that people are less likely to believe all authorities and take on information that could save their lives in a pandemic. And much more likely to believe their their friends or their neighbours or, you know, an American podcast host, for example. <laughs> Less Joe Rogans and more actual public health experts, but it all comes down to trust, doesn't it? And once you lose that in a society, it's so difficult to do anything complex and constructive. Tomorrow on The Briefing, one year of Joe Biden's presidency. What has he actually achieved? Listener.